Bing bong. I am back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I had a very special in-person interview with Jimmy Song, the man, the myth, the legend. We talk about a bunch of different things, why all shit coins are going to zero, um, you know, layer twos, layer threes, lightning, liquid, all of it. And I got all of it in person with Jimmy Song. So it was a great conversation. But as always, ladies and gentlemen, this is not financial advice. Everything you hear in this podcast should not be taken as financial advice. Go ahead and smash that subscribe button if you're listening. Anywhere you get podcasts, send a five-star review. Tell your friends to tell a friend. And big shout out to my sponsor, The Bitcoin Advisor. You could check us out at thebitcoinadvisor.com backslash green candle. And you can set up an appointment with myself we can help you with self-custody, getting your Bitcoin off an exchange. Our mission is to get every single coin off of an exchange into cold storage. We can help you do that with a multi-sig solution so you don't have a single point of failure. We can help you up with estate planning, education, and much, much more. So go ahead and book an appointment or you can email me at brandon at thebitcoinadvisor.com and Shout out to Hodler's Official, the number one jerseys in the game. They're releasing basketball jerseys now. So not only can you get the Satoshi Genesis baseball jerseys, which the prices are going up at the end of this year. So be sure to get them while you can. Use promo code Green Candle for 10% off the baseball or the basketball jerseys. There's only 121 of the basketball jerseys with Satoshi or Nakamoto on the back, just one or the other. There's only 121 of each, so be sure to grab those while you can. And woo, 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 shout out to Sovereign Energy. That's S-V-R-N energy.com. You can get energy drinks for 10% off. They've got two different flavors, and they are delicious. It keeps me rocking and rolling throughout the day, and you get sats back with every single can. So use promo code Green Candle and get 10% off. All right, enough of that. Let's get into the episode. Bing bong. We are live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast where I've got the man, the myth, the legend, Jimmy Song here in Tampa Bay. Welcome, man. I uh, appreciate you coming in and uh, spending a little bit of time with me. Yeah, uh, glad to be here. Uh, interesting to see you with a Texas A&M shirt in, in, in Florida. Not something you see every day. What's going on? Yeah, man. Well, uh, so I'm originally from Austin, uh, and then I moved on down to Tampa. So, um, uh, you, who, you made that switch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was one of the first. I mean, I grew up in Austin, so I've been... I don't know, like the Austin now, like that all the Bitcoiners are seeing is not the Austin I grew up with for sure. So, I mean, the the downtown scenes changed quite a bit. Um, I don't think I haven't like lived actively in Austin since like 2012. That's so, when I moved to Austin. Uh, really? So, yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't know, when I was growing up and going through high school, it was always the fastest growing city in America. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, the development downtown was insane and you always kind of saw the tech growth and everything like that. But I don't know. I feel like Austin kind of outgrew itself now. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just because I, I like knew it as like a small town when my parents first moved there. Our closest grocery store was like 45 minutes. Mm. We lived out in Steiner Ranch, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. So that whole neighborhood has changed completely. And yeah, yeah. 
just Austin as a whole is just, yeah, it's blown up. It's blown up quite a bit. And it's, uh, even more in the last couple of years with the pandemic and stuff. Yeah. Everybody from San Francisco, LA, New York, they all like moved. I mean, I, I'm sure it's similar here. Yeah. Yeah. I heard, so. Yeah. I moved here like right before the pandemic too. And, uh, yeah, even in the past like couple of years, I mean, I'm sure you, you like mm-hmm. right outside where we're at right now, there's, that apartment complex or condos or something going up that wasn't there like a year ago. I mean, just a, even downtown here, it's insane. Like I think a couple years ago too, like right after COVID blew up, I kept seeing like black rock cars or trucks like downtown, like scooping up all the real estate down here. So hopefully it doesn't turn out poorly for Tampa. I'm, I'm optimistic, but uh, they, I, I think they know that, uh, you know, mortgages and, um, you know, real estate is uh, one, of, one of the few places where you could store value. So even though they're getting lots and lots of subsidies, that's uh, yeah, what they're going with. Yeah, exactly. Well, you brought it up, the store of value. So mm-hmm. let's dive right in, right? <laughs> I mean, because we got a, a very interesting time. We have Bitcoin price kind of shooting up, mm-hmm. which of course brings a lot of attention to not only Bitcoin, but a lot of the altcoins. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as a, as a programmer and everything else, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a Bitcoin maxi, but I don't get into the weeds quite like you like you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so why, tell me why and what, what makes Bitcoin so special that basically no other altcoin can potentially like replicate and um, why all their altcoins are going to zero? Yeah, I, the, the main reason is because Bitcoin is actually decentralized <laughs> and altcoins are all centralized. The, the, the trade-off that you're making with Bitcoin versus altcoins is you give up the one property that makes Bitcoin absolutely unique, and that is decentralized digital scarcity. Everything else is LARPing at decentralization. We call it Dino or decentralized at name only. And this is what all of these altcoins do. And the thing is, they have to keep up this fiction that they're either decentralized now or working towards decentralization because this has been their strategy at keeping off regulation. And what we're seeing especially more recently, yeah, is that that is not going to fly anymore with a lot of the regulators because you can't just keep claiming that you're decentralized when you clearly have a centralized foundation that sold tokens, that uh, changes the monetary policy, that creates new tokens or whatever, and have a war chest that you can like dump on retail at any time. And so that that's the big difference is bitcoin has decentralization all coins aren't even really working towards decentralization really what they're doing is using the decentralization moniker while being as centralized as possible there's not a single person on the ethereum foundation that is interested in getting rid of the ethereum foundation they want to keep it going because this is where all of the money that they're making comes from so the big difference is that bitcoin has almost had this miraculous uh, birth where decentralization was a part of it. Uh, Everything else has had centralization at its core and it has never really even tried to get rid of that centralization aspect of it. Yeah, and that that's a really interesting point. And I guess like how revolutionary has this like, you know, the digital scarcity mm-hmm. and the decentralization of Bitcoin in like, you know, theoretically a non-scarce place like the Internet? Mm-hmm. How revolutionary is that? And like, I guess, yeah, yeah, put that into words or like kind of describe that for, I don't know, somebody is not as technical 
um, on, on that kind of side of things. Yeah, I, I would say it's a it, it, it's a computer science breakthrough, um, you know, on par with something like public key cryptography. So, you know, before Bitcoin in 2009, everything digital was either one of two things. It, it was uh centralized and scarce or decentralized and infinitely reproducible so you know lots of lots of centralized scarce things exist you if you've played any games like world mm -hmm. of warcraft or whatever there are rare items but that's because the blizzard corporation does uh you know uh, designate certain numbers of certain items or whatever. Um, now they're still valuable because people can use them in a game and so on. And maybe they're collecting their, um, I think Counter-Strike has like all these skins that have no utility whatsoever yeah. other than, you know, uh, showing people that you're like a uh, high status or whatever. But, you know, th those things have value because they have scarcity and it's very difficult to get or it costs a lot of money or you have to have won a tournament or something like that. So the digital things can have value. and But like to have that value needs scarcity. And in order to have that scarcity, at least before 2009, you needed a centralized party to enforce that. Um, afterwards, uh, or I mean, the other option was it could be uh decentralized but more or less infinitely reproducible and we we saw this with uh you know like mp3s and stuff like that right mm -hmm. like the napster and file sharing and BitTorrent and all that i mean you could you you can reproduce these things with perfect fidelity there is no no scarcity around that right uh, drm was sort of like a way to try to make decentralized digital items sort of more scarce by essentially centralizing it, right? Like call home to some server and say, okay, is this legit? And then, um, and then play it if not. And of course it was an utter disaster and didn't work in, in the least. What Bitcoin brought was decentralized digital scarcity and something that we've never had before that point. And from a computer science perspective, it's astounding because, you know, why can't you just replicate things? And how is there no central authority enforcing the scarcity of something? Um, and, you know, it, that this was what cypherpunks were searching for from 92 on. So it, it was, you know, about like uh, 17 years in the making, at least from a cypherpunk perspective. And you can go even further back with like Chalm and eCash and stuff like that. Having some sort of uh, workable digital money has been um, uh, something that like the, you know, cypherpunk community, computer scientists have been wanting to do for a long time. So, you know, like, don't let anyone fool you. This is a major, major leap forward in computer science. It's something that a lot of people didn't think it was even possible. And then along comes Satoshi and releases this white paper. It's like, oh, yeah, you can actually make this work. You need proof of work. You need, uh, you know, a, dis a distributed ledger. You need a lot of other things to make it work, but it works. And that that was the key. And that's why it's such a an important uh, innovation, like just from a technical standpoint, mm -hmm. because, you know, no one had put these pieces together in just this way to create this thing that people have been looking to make for, you know, decades. At that yeah. Point. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's great. And, you know, from my understanding, right, I mean, the blockchain essentially is just right, like a digital ledger. Mm -hmm. And 
in my eyes, like, you know, I have an engineering background. I'm not exactly like, you know, in the weeds with coding or everything, but it seems like that's kind of an inefficient way to go about things. So except for when it comes to, you know, transacting and payments, right? Because mm -hmm. you need to be able to keep track of all those things. So in your opinion, do you think that there's any other use case maybe for, I guess, whether it's something on the Bitcoin blockchain or maybe even some other, you know, mm -hmm. blockchain in general that you can see that say like, hey, this makes sense to put on a digital ledger that's maybe decentralized or not controlled by anybody. Like, do you see any other use case for, I guess the blockchain outside of what Bitcoin has kind of revolutionized. Well, uh, the short answer is no, uh, but you know, it's, you know, a lot of people think, okay, well, there's this uh, technology that Bitcoin has and that must be the secret sauce. And they think like adding a blockchain magically adds decentralization to something. And that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. You, you need a lot of other, <laughs> other mechanisms to make that work. Uh, but really, like when you when you think about a ledger, it's really not that different than a database. And databases have been around for a long time. the The tricky part of any database is like keeping it in sync. So if you're a centralized database, great, it's easy. You you mm -hmm. know who the authority is, and you know um, how to determine whether or not it's uh, it's authoritative because you just ping the server and you you ask for the data or whatever. In a decentralized context, uh, they they tend to diverge very quickly, and this is this is where we, you run into problems because it's not consistent. My my database is different than your database. Mm -hmm. How do you keep them in sync if there's no central authority? And this is um, interestingly enough uh, a problem that almost every altcoin runs into. Yeah, uh, especially like stuff around proof of stake because they're they're trying to keep their you know, uh, what, what they're supposed to sign, what the next block is consistent. And you need some fallback in case you don't come to an agreement. And almost what, what, what all of these like proof of stake systems do is they go to another authority and say, okay, all right, we're going to punish you if you, uh, sign the wrong block. Well, how do I know it's the right block or wrong block? You have to check with this. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's it's all LARPing, right? It's all it's all just pretending to be decentralized when really everyone is going to the ordering service or whatever they call it as yeah. okay, now now these guys are doing it. so um you know blockchains don't magically give you any of that, right? Like it's uh, it, it doesn't give you decentralization, uh, which like a lot of management consultants, I guess, would have you believe or what or blockchain yeah. consultants would have you believe. It's it's just a database and the the way you work with it and how how you prove that you um it's consistent you know like or how, how you make them consistent is a large part of it and proof yeah. of work is a real solution to that problem which is why proof of stake doesn't work um the the hard part um for a lot of people to kind of get uh, is that blockchain like sounds you know very interesting or um you know, it's been turned into this word uh, and it, like to disabuse them of that notion requires some technical understanding, yeah. which, which none of them honestly are very interested in. They just want to chase the next buzzword and they want to put a bet down on the next buzzword, which is why they 
go ahead and uh, you know invest in uh, in all coins or whatever. Yeah, that's where I kind of think you know you're you're nailing on the head there is like that blockchain has almost become like the dot com boom, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas like you put blockchain behind anything, and then you know all of a sudden you get like multi million to maybe even a billion dollar valuation just super early on, mm -hmm. and we saw that with a bunch of these like altcoins and. You know uh, all these different you know i guess experiments if if, it, if there's not even really a better word for any of that but i kind of want to dive into like layer twos mm -hmm. because obviously like you know lightning network uh, outside of bitcoin the lightning network has become you know almost uh synonymous with bitcoin in like when it comes to with with payments transactions that kind of thing so I guess, you know, you, you put into words about how revolutionary the Bitcoin technology is, mm -hmm. how revolutionary has lightning in, in comparison to that. And yeah, can you kind of, I guess, like break down how the layer two works on top of this layer one, you know, I guess just like from a, a coder's perspective. Yeah. So layer one is just sort of atomic transactions, right? Like I, I send you five Bitcoin and that's like just one transaction. But, yeah. Um, Oftentimes what happens is, uh, you know, you, you have two parties that are transacting many, many, many more times. So if we're doing a lot of business and, you know, in one day we do 30 trades against each other, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I give you five, you give me three, I give you one, you give me four, whatever. Um, you, and each of those is on chain. That's, that's very inefficient, right? Yeah. Um, and what you can do instead is have something called a channel and that, uh, you know, nets it all out. And, uh, you know, the, this is a common thing in any financial market. They call it technical netting, okay. where you have a uh, hundred different uh, transactions, but they just net it all to one, right? Compress all of those transactions into a single transaction at the end of the day or something. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what they do. And that's basically what a channel is. It's, uh, it's keeping a mini ledger between you and me and figuring out, okay, um, where, where's the balance right now, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I've given you five, you've given me four, I've given you one. Okay. The net is two, something like that. Yeah. Um, and that's what a channel is. And the nice thing about a channel is, uh, you know, we can do, and this is the innovation of the lightning network. We can do it in such a way where you know, if I'm lying, when I go, go on chain with it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I'm lying, then you get to take all, all the coins. So that that's sort of like the punishment mechanism causes both of us to stay honest with each other, which uh, which makes it a really interesting thing. Even if it's just two people, that's that's an innovation. Mm -hmm. Now, the really nice thing about uh, about this system is that if I have a channel to you and you have a channel to somebody else. Now I can pay somebody else through him. And you might have done this with your friends, right? Yeah. Like you owe a friend $20, that friend owes another friend $20. And it's like, why, why don't why don't I just pay them? And like we can cancel this and make it simpler. Yeah. Well, that's essentially what you're doing, uh, you know, when when you're doing something like that is paying through somebody to another person. And it doesn't have to be just two hops, it could be like n hops, at which point you have an entire network of channels and that's what the lightning network is the network mm -hmm. part comes from the fact that you have lots of channels between each other uh and so you can essentially pay anyone in the same network provided the channels are thick enough right like there there's enough value moving through those that you can you can find the route from a to b and this is where if you're using a lot of lightning 
wallets, sometimes it'll fail and say, I can't find the route to the other person, whether it's because they're disconnected from the sort of sub network that you're in, or because there's not enough capacity, there's no route from A to A to B or something like that. And that, that, that's the main idea. Uh, so the revolutionary part is that you can compress a lot of these smaller transactions into one, uh, like, you know, you can, you can have one transaction on chain, but you can have many, 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 many transactions mm -hmm. while on the Lightning Network. And that's, that's how people generally use it. You keep some amount of money on your Lightning Wallet. And instead of a single transaction, every time that you want to pay somebody, uh, you know, you, you have a Lightning transaction and those all get compressed into, into a single one. So that's why we call it a layer two, because all of those mini transactions that we're doing are not recorded on chain. Okay. Uh, just the settlement transaction does. Yeah. But that's that's at the end of the day after everything's uh, been accounted for. Yeah. So it seems like it's a not revolutionary in a sense where you know it hasn't been done before, but it's revolutionary that it's just on top of the Bitcoin network. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Uh, it, it's on top of the Bitcoin network, and it's done in a trustless way. Okay. Uh, oftentimes, like uh, when when you're doing technical netting in these um, environments, you you have some authority that keeps track, right? You, you can't have that in a decentralized network. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there there needs to be this punishment mechanism that uh, that that lets you get justice if somebody tries to cheat, so that you know you you can be your own off, uh, enforcer, right, of anything nefarious that's going on, and that that's what makes it very interesting from that perspective yeah all right now let's get into liquid because mm -hmm. it seems like that's kind of been the hot topic on on bitcoin twitter today mm -hmm. um so yeah what's the difference between because it seemed like liquid to me um you know i had samson on a little mm -hmm. bit earlier too so he kind of explained it to me as well but before i talked to him it seemed like liquid was kind of lightning pre-lightning mm -hmm. but the way i understand it now is there still needs to be some sort of trusted party to transact with liquid. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? And kind of, I guess, dive into yeah, the I differences. Mean, I, I would say liquid is a centralized system, but it's centralized in a way where it's, it's a little harder for the centralized entity to say rug pull you or whatever. Uh, the way it works is that there's a federation and what, what you're doing when you're inserting money into uh, or, uh, putting money into Liquid is you're sending your Bitcoins to a multi-sig address and then you do stuff on Liquid and then you can get it out from uh, the Federation. Now, it's possible the Federation gets corrupted and you lose your money, just like anything centralized. It's kind of like depositing at an exchange or whatever. But it's done in such a way where it's it's a lot harder for them to collude against you. You would need, um, I think, two-thirds majority to of them to... Yeah. Um, uh, to steal your funds, essentially, and unlikely to happen for a variety of reasons. Um, but you know, they they make they take care to choose the uh, the federation members so that they're in different jurisdictions and so on. So it's not easy for a single entity to to make that happen. So that's part of it. the The other part that's very interesting about Liquid is that you you've given up this thing decentralization. So what are you getting out of it? What's the trade off that you're getting? Well, first of all, fees are much lower. Mm -hmm. um, blocks are much faster. So it's like every minute instead of every ten, and it's very predictable because uh, it's um, it, it's not a proof of work uh, you know chain. 
uh, and they can do that because it's a federation. Um, uh, so every every minute, and uh, and you can it it has a lot of Bitcoin's capabilities, including opening Lightning channels, and that's what we're kind of seeing right now. The reason why so many people are going into Liquid is that you can open a Liquid channel, a uh, Lightning channel, and you know sort of do a lot of the stuff that you would do in Lightning, um, and that's that's very different uh, than the previous high fee environments. Cause we we've had high fee environments in the past. We, mm -hmm. we had them in 2017, 2018. We had like ordinal spam, maybe even uh, last year or whatever. Uh, but the, the narrative this time has changed a lot because the thing that more uh, that people are much more concerned about this time around is just this transactions not going through on lightning. Before it was, oh, I can't, I can't move my money to the exchanges fast enough to go sell it at the top or something like that. Instead, it's, well, you know, I, I've been using Bitcoin for Lightning to pay for stuff, but you know, like I might get screwed over by my counterparty if I'm not able to get the justice transaction in because the fees are so high. Th those are becoming things now where it's, um, w w which tells you that the Bitcoin ecosystem has evolved a little bit and this is why so many people are going into liquid because they realize okay in a high fee environment like liquid's pretty ideal because mm -hmm. you know it's low fees and you can you know the the um blocks are every minute and you get confidential transactions so you know people don't even know it's you and you you have this ability to hook into the lightning network through liquid uh, and then, you know, once you, you have that balance, then you can have another Bitcoin wallet, send it to yourself and, you know, you, you might have a larger balance and so on. So there, there's a lot of uh, interesting parts uh, that Liquid adds to this ecosystem. And it's all sort of like working together in a way that, uh, you know, not, not a lot of people expected, I think. Yeah. So do you, do you think that there's a room for Liquid just in this high fee environment or do you think that there's room for liquid kind of as, as things develop in this bitcoin ecosystem yeah i mean there, there's a lot of interesting things you can do on liquid just no one's using it that way so you have um asset issuance so you can have uh, i i think tether on liquid is a thing so yeah uh if you have that um and you can you can do atomic swaps so you can essentially make some sort of decentralized exchange on there where you uh, swap some Bitcoin for Tether, for example, to sell or exchange the other way to buy. Um, and it's undetectable as far as like, what 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 did you actually trade? Or, or is it even a trade? Like people don't know, right? Like yeah. that, that's kind of the idea because you have uh, confidential transactions. And based on that, uh, you know, they don't know the amounts or whatever. You can you could do lots of interesting things and get some, you know, anonymity uh, like within that ecosystem. So I don't know, maybe it becomes more popular as uh, there's more liquidity on it, uh, because the, the thing that's harder on liquid is that there's, you know, maybe a few thousand Bitcoin on there. Um, mm -hmm. But it, and it's not transacted very often. But right now there's a lot of transactions on it. So the anonymity set is significantly bigger, which means that you can uh, you know, you can sort of like anonymize your coins a little easier. And, uh, you know, I, other, like instead of doing coin joins and all that stuff, you at some point you might be able to 
use liquid to you know wash all your coins and yeah do different things with it yeah yeah okay so then let's get into layer threes then because uh -huh. that's kind of like the new the new buzz but i still don't i i personally don't really know mm -hmm. too much about what these new layer three projects are and it seems like there's a few being developed i've heard of um you know feddy uh like the fediments mm -hmm. um there's other one that names escaping me but it's something with a nut or something like that cashew. And, yeah cashew um so there's a, some of these other like layer three projects going on so what are some of the benefits of a layer three now on top of the lightning network and on top of, I guess, like just keep moving up. What is it? Is it going to be like infinite amount of layers at, at some point or like what, what, why keep building layers on layers on layers? I, I wouldn't call Fetty or Cashew layer three. I would okay. call them like a layer two because what, what they are is a Chaomian bank. And this is, um, this is something that, uh, you know, David Chum figured out way back when. So public key cryptography came in 1976. And David Chum wrote the eCash paper in 1980, only like four years later. And the idea behind his, uh, his Chumian eCash bank is that you would have a bank issue, you know, basically digital receipts that, that you can go trade for goods and services. And it can go through many hands and then redeem uh, ultimately at the bank for, for cash. And the idea was that the bank would have no idea what hops it went through before it got redeemed. Obviously, the person that took the money, uh, money the e-cash out and mm -hmm. the person that redeemed the e-cash, they would know. But anybody in between, they would have no idea. And that that's that was the power of e-cash. He actually... Um, started a company in the 90s called digicash to do to make it the money of the internet and he had, he actually had a few banks that did that for us dollars and the chaomi and ecash um thing uh, unfortunately wasn't as popular as credit cards and paypal and things like that uh and you know having talked to him it, a large part of that it was because banks were uncomfortable with the anonymous nature of, you know, what you were able to do. Um, and so it was, it was never really a question of it happening on the U.S. dollar. Um, I think it's, it's a little too much of a heavy lift to get uh, banks to agree to do that. But here's the thing. You can do it on Bitcoin. You can have Chamian banks on on big uh, on bitcoin and that that's what Fetty and cashew are doing is you deposit money uh to a centralized Fetty, uh or i, I think Fetty is named Fetty because uh it's federal federated so you mm -hmm. you have a bunch of entities that all like honor this uh deposit or whatever so it's kind of like liquid in the sense that it's centralized, but, you know, a lot of them have to cooperate to screw you over. Gotcha. Um, but you you get a receipt and that uh, so you deposit one Bitcoin, maybe get like a receipt for half quarter and a quarter or something like that. And you can trade those and get goods and services for it. And the next person and can do that and so on. And then by the time it comes back to the, you know, Fetty Bank, they can uh, they can get the actual Bitcoin out right at that point. So they 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 go off chain with Fetty, and then they come back on. Somebody else comes back on chain with it. 
all of the all of the transactions that happened in between nobody knows right like mm -hmm. uh the the way eCash works is that there's like signatures and blinding so there there's pretty much anonymity once it leaves the bank that's why it was called eCash it's it's very much like cash in the sense that no one no one can really trace it uh, and then what, once it comes back then you can put it back on chain great you you have this anonymity and you have the convenience because there's no blockchain to record the transaction it's just receipts and you 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 sign the receipt and now it's over to this person and you know they sign it and it's over to another person and it's done in such a way where um you know it's kind of like a mini ledger of you know here but it's it's just continuously in one direction it just goes to it uh, to the next person until it goes back to the bank at which point they settle by putting it back on chain uh but that that's the main idea the, that's that's what uh eCash is and that's what Fetty and Cashew are both doing um and it, it gives you uh, you know like uh, um liquid you're giving up decentralization and you know sovereignty over your coins but you get certain trade-offs that are i think somewhat worthwhile depending on your use case so uh for liquid you know a large part is low fees and you can you can um participate on the lightning network with less fees uh for something like fetty and cashew you get anonymity with like no one knowing anything because there there's no transaction that's broadcast anywhere so if i'm spending a Fetty, you know, eCash over to somebody else, the only two people that know about it are those two people, right? And that that's like, nobody else knows about it. That that That's like another level of um, anonymity in the yeah. transaction, which even Liquid doesn't have because it's it's got confidential transactions, but everyone knows that there existed a transaction, that you did something. And if you were, if somebody was able to trace you to a particular UTXO, at that point they know, okay, maybe you, this person did something with it. Um, they might not know that much information, but they know something happened. Even that is gone with uh, with something like Fetty. Uh, so you you get some, uh, you know, privacy, uh, mm -hmm. like a higher degree of privacy with Fetty and Cashew that you wouldn't uh, get on Liquid. So that that would be the main thing. And, you know, if you if you have a Fetty bank that everyone trusts and like sort of the model that they've been talking about is maybe like uh, Human Rights Foundation runs one of these and all of the, uh, uh, you know, these human rights organizations uh, use the eCash uh, issued by HRF or some federation thereof. And then like they're 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 able to get goods and services or, you know, um, go back out to the main blockchain and do stuff. Uh, but but it's it's an interesting idea because you you have that privacy and you have plausible deniability and all mm -hmm. this other stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned something interesting on early on that, that banks were kind of resistant of it because mm -hmm. of the an anonymity. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's going to be an issue like going forward with like anything, I guess, Bitcoin related? Because obviously, you know, we have Senator Warren here in the U.S. who's just mm -hmm. trying to do the crypto shutdown and saying it's all used by criminals and all this kind of thing. And like the publicity around Bitcoin is that the an anonymity is bad. And, you mm -hmm. know, obviously banks don't want to give up any power. 
But we do on the flip side have, you know, El Salvador, uh, maybe Javier Mille might move towards Bitcoin. Who knows? Um, but, uh, you know, obviously he's kind of going to the dollarization right now. But, you know, maybe that's a step down the line. But anyway, it's getting a lot of publicity in other countries outside of the U.S. But I feel like the U.S. is going to be the most resistant because we have the most to lose. So in a sense, do you think that the banks are going to try to fight Bitcoin in a sense? And that's going to be the next ploy is like the anonymity aspect of it? I mean, they, they'll try. The, the thing is, like, transactions are naturally anonymous. It's, it's really only because, you know, central banks and uh, b banking institutions and all this digitization has put themselves in the middle. And lawmakers very quickly realized that this was a nice shortcut to uh, putting pressure on various um, constituents. Uh, so instead of law enforcement going after scammers, or you know, drug people or whatever, they just deputize banks to do a lot of that for them, where they have to report all of this stuff. And this this is why they want to go towards CBDCs because now they'll know everything without yeah. having to deputize banks. Uh, but that that's not the natural state of things because you know human transactions are bilateral. There shouldn't be a third party. If I'm doing a transaction with you, it's nobody else's business. Mm -hmm. uh, but they've inserted themselves, and that that's um, you know at the heart of what AML KYC laws are about. It's to snoop into your business. Um, now uh, Elizabeth Warren wants to do that, but I think most people are resistant to the government knowing about every transaction. Do you really want yeah. the government to know that you bought nipple rings on Amazon? Right? Like <laughs> that's not that's not like the sort of thing that people are thrilled about, like exposing. And you know, it's very easy for that data to get compromised and stuff like that. Uh, there are security breaches all the time, so people generally feel much better about direct bilateral transactions anyway. So I think there's going to be some level of resistance to that because it really is tyranny. Once you get some level of, um, you know, control over every transaction, which is where people like Senator Warren want to go. But there, I think there's a freedom instinct for mo most people where, yeah, I don't want the government to know what I'm doing because that that can be used against me, and I don't like that. Um, so, I mean, they'll try, but I don't think it'll go very far because there, I think, are enough people that uh, don't want to give up their privacy. Yeah. On, on the flip side, you know, I can see people resistant to that at the government, but it seems like, you know, with the boom of big tech, right, with like Facebook, mm -hmm. the uh, iPhones, everything like that, everybody's been kind of, I guess maybe they just ignorance is bliss, but they're more willing to give up their data than, you know, uh, than maybe it seems like before with like the financial transactions of things. Um, so do you, do you think maybe I'm just, uh, I guess more, uh, I think the normies aren't, aren't as far along when, mm -hmm. when it comes to like giving up their data and things like that. And they're, they're more willing to do that for ease and for convenience and other things. So do you think in a sense, like, you know, I mean, we just saw our half the population, maybe even more, you know, just get, you know, a jab in their arm so they can travel around the world and make it easier and things like that. So <laughs> do you think that there's going to be, in a sense, maybe some sort of government law that makes it a little bit more difficult? And so because there's a little bit of friction there, more people are just going to be willing to be like, all right, I'll give you some more of my data. And it's really not that big of a deal. Like, what are they going to do with it? Yeah, a good question. I don't, 
I, I mean, there are a lot of people that are willing to go with the program. Just, uh, you know, they don't, they don't like being inconvenienced or whatever, but yeah, I think especially after this lockdown stuff, I think a lot more people are aware of the tyranny of government and, you know, I've asked a lot of people like, okay, if they locked us down again, what would you do? They're like, no, <laughs> like, yeah. like they're, they're kind of sick of it. They, they overplayed their hand this past time. So I, I, I mean, there's always going to be regime supporters or whatever, whenever there's tyranny, but um, I, I don't think they can, they can manage to do it. I, even if they do, I mean, you you always have bitcoin and yeah. how are you going to stop it like what what legislation are you even going to propose um yeah i mean elizabeth warren's new bill is basically hey like you know you're not allowed to possess your own bitcoin right like it, it has to be a centralized thing and she's she's trying that well good luck enforcing that it's uh it's yeah like you're, you're going to need like a seriously big police state to enforce yeah. something like that a lot of us have guns, you know, that's that's not something you're going to be able to enforce that easily. There are other options. There are other places you can go. And I think a lot of people will go in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, but, you know, you've recently written a new book. Um, it came out a couple of months ago called Fiat Ruins Everything. Mm. It seems like you kind of came into Bitcoin from the programming perspective, mm. and then you've kind of developed into like maybe the, a different part of the ethos. Is that fair to say mm. um, that you've kind of like came into it through that, like the maybe the cypherpunk re revolution? And now, I mean, of course, you know, Bitcoin kind of changes your perspective on the entire world. But has that kind of... Uh, I guess is that is that what drew you in initially? Uh, yeah, I, I would say that technical part was interesting, um, but I, I think I understood fairly early on that it was an economic good too, and that that's something that you need you need both of those in order to really understand Bitcoin, uh, the implications and how evil fiat was and stuff like that. That's not something that I really realized at the beginning, but did develop over time. Just having a new way of looking at things and seeing how corrupt things have gotten and you know why things are the way they are i think if uh bitcoin does anything it's that it brings you back to first principles and i've definitely done that with a lot of stuff and looking through those lenses man uh there's a lot of stuff that's broken and that's what i document in the book yeah for sure so do you think you know you you kind of brought up like the masks and everything mm -hmm. like that the latest lockdown do you think with the money printing that came with that and the inflation that everybody's experiencing now mm -hmm. you know do you think that kind of opened up everybody's eyes I, maybe not to bitcoin specifically but there's like hey there's something wrong with this system that we're currently in do you think that the average person now is more aware of i guess you know what is going on with you know the control and kind of the levers that the, the government pulls yeah absolutely uh and like things have just gotten so insane the last few years right like uh oh you know girls or boys or you know yeah like they can they can like just the things that the government is expecting their loyal supporters to do are getting absolutely crazy like it, it's just stuff that if you ask anyone 20 years ago they would have been like oh no one's going to follow that, but they are. Uh, it's 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 how sort of brainwashed a lot of people have gotten. So, uh, you know, it's it's hard to like have that level of cognitive dissonance and stay sane. Um, so, 
you know, I, I think a lot of people are sort of rejecting the mainstream narrative. Um, and that's not to say everyone uh, there, but there, there's a significant minority, um, maybe even majority that, that are uh, doing that. I mean, to a large degree, I think, uh, you know, this, this was the case even when Trump was elected, you know, he was sort of the populist mm -hmm. reaction to the globalist narrative. And it's not just Trump. There's like people in, uh, in many other countries. Uh, you mentioned Malay earlier. I, I think that's, that's part of this reaction against, um, you know, being asked to continue to carry water for the globalists, uh, which are honestly more and more insane every time you look at it, right? Like mm -hmm. mostly peaceful protesters that are burning down stores and looting or whatever. I mean, I think people can see the obvious injustice and the obvious sort of double think like Orwellian crap that's going on all over the place. So um yeah I, I how how is it all going to play out i don't know but i i do sense that you know a lot of people are fed up with it and a lot of people are willing to at least vote uh, in a particular way whether they're willing to do more than that remains to be seen but i mean this this is how you know you lodge a protest against the existing order yeah. And I mean, I, I think that's, you know, 100% nailing on the head. So before I, I let you go here, I, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of cracks when it comes to like the overall macro mm -hmm. uh, scenario. So uh, I'm not sure if this is exactly your forte or, or whatnot. But, you know, where do you think we're going to go here in 24, where it's like, you know, are we going to be in a potential recession? Are you one of the uh, Bitcoiners that kind of believes that everything's going to start to fall apart really quickly? Or do you think of, I guess, like, us getting to more of a Bitcoin standard is going to take, you know, maybe a couple of decades or so. Yeah, I, I don't know what 2024 has in store. I mean, if you asked me in 2020 what was going to be the major narrative, I never would have guessed COVID, right? Like, yeah. And that being the thing that defined almost like a generation of people. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to be out there making predictions here. Here's what I will say, though. Um, what we have to do is not increase adoption right as bitcoiners that that that's not the goal here i mean we certainly could and maybe convince more people to get on the bitcoin standard or whatever all we have to do is wait for the fiat system to collapse that's it like if we, if we survive past that we'll be fine right like because people won't have any other choice because uh you know the the currency will have hyperinflated or collapsed or whatever the cracks are starting to show for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, interest rates being at five percent or whatever um, has like deeply exposed like a lot of companies and you know banks and all kinds of things that that will you know I mean they either need a bailout or they'll they'll go bust. You know, and yeah. If they get bailed out, then there's probably more inflation coming. If they if they go bust, then you know like the economy needs to go into like a really deep recession. Not not a great choice for policymakers, but those two seem to be the main paths here. So I don't know which one they'll yeah. choose, but there's going to have to be some sort of reckoning. What you're not going to get is a complete soft landing, which everybody's been like sort of hoping for. Um, you're, you're either going to get more inflation or you're going to get some sort of recession like or you might get both. It's, it's yeah. entirely possible you get both. Um, Either way, the, the thing I think as Bitcoiners, what, what you want to focus on is 
surviving till the fiat collapse happens right like how, uh, and once that happens then we've won like i i don't think there's any question it's inevitable at that point but waiting for that and um uh, and sort of watching and uh preparing i think is is what you you're gonna want to do yeah so what what do you take for it like I guess somebody like RFK Jr. or, you know, Vivek or some of these other, you know, presidential candidates either saying that they're going to back big or back the US dollar with, you know, hard assets. Do you think that we would it would even be possible to revert back to, you know, I guess more of a hard money standard, but still be with like the US dollar as the denominated uh the global reserve currency? Well, backed is a really interesting word, right? Yeah. Because uh is it convertible or not? Because if it's convertible, yeah. then it's the same as, uh, you know, or it, it trades as uh, more or less the commodity that it's backed by. But if it's uh, not convertible, then it's all just sort of theater, right? It's, yeah. Okay. Look how much gold we have, or whatever. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't think that necessarily matters. Um, uh, I, I, I don't trust politicians in general, so. You know they'll say whatever they want or they need to to get elected and you know i mean certainly vivek and rfk jr you know you know have the right sort of uh positions or they're they're talking a good game but whether or not they actually follow through you don't know right yeah. like uh I, I mean i i love the game that they're talking but you know i mean show show me something first right yeah um, so I, I'm not seeing it yet, uh, and I think that's the case with every politician. It's all sort of like based on hope anyway. Um, yeah, what, what I'm waiting for is, uh, you know, Bitcoin standard to come to fruition. And that's that, again, we just have to outlast fiat. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's fair to say. All right, before I let you go, one last question. I got to mm -hmm. ask about the cowboy hat, the mm -hmm. brand in with it. Mm -hmm. So how long have you been rocking the cowboy hat? What was it? What was it like? I don't know. Have you have you did, you said you live in Austin now you, you moved there in 2012. Mm -hmm. Was it always something that, uh, you know, you were rocking around? Or is it a new thing since 2012? Yeah, no, I, I started in 2017. I think uh, October was when I when I started and I was getting more popular. And um, uh i i decided to wear the hat to like this conference consensus invest in new york that was the first time i wore it and i, I wore it mostly because i wanted people to know that i'm from texas there we go and and you know about texans yeah. uh, they want you to know they're from texas so that 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 was my main motivation uh but yeah it's it's something that i've been wearing as sort of like a brand thing uh for the last six years and you know, I've gone on a lot of other podcasts and explained why I wear it, so I won't recap yeah. it here. But basically, I, I started in 2017, and it's been sort of like a part of my brand ever since. There we go. There we yeah. go. Texas forever, huh? Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, Jimmy, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast, and I appreciate it, man. I hope you enjoyed Tampa. Yeah, I hope so, too. Thanks. All right, man.